You're very welcome to the Football Talking Tour podcast. My name's Aon. And I am Gary. And we're delighted to welcome back into the studio Jerry Farrell, who we had here before from the A Bohemian Life blog, to talk a little bit about uh, black players who played for Ireland and in the League of Ireland. Okay, we're delighted again to have Jerry Farrell in the studio to talk to us more about uh, some of the fascinating, fascinating uh, football tales that we touch on in our football walking tour. Jerry, you're very welcome. Uh, thanks for having me again, guys. Back again from the uh, Bohemian Life um, Bohemian Life blog, and also you have your own rival podcast, <laughs> <laughs> which is uh, kind of on hiatus at the moment, but it will be back. Oh, really? Yeah, for all, all my uh, listeners, plural out there. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> excellent. Excellent. So we're, we wanted to touch a little bit on them. Um, I suppose uh, black players in, in in Irish football. It's it's something that we we had a um, for Black History Month. We had a we had a, a a football walking tour that dedicated itself to to that side of the of the story. And it's an interesting side, I suppose, side of uh, of the Irish football. Um, if you like, if you look at the at the modern side, there's a number of players who who come from African descent. It's it's really exciting to see the number of players and underage level as well. It's 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 fantastic. And tells a story about the nature of, of of where Ireland is now versus where Ireland was uh, maybe a hundred years ago. But there has always been individuals uh, who have played in this country uh, from different backgrounds, different ethnicities. Uh, and you can take us right back uh, to the 20s and to an incident which actually potentially <laughs> led to, this, to the, to the power, football partition of the country because uh, an Egyptian gentleman... Yes, um, in got Paris. involved in, in in I mean, how do you put an Egyptian and Paris together that leads to a a, a football split on the island of Ireland? Yeah. But a, a, a diplomatic take it from there, Jerry, if you might. Yeah, so I suppose I know you've had uh, Cormac Moore on the podcast, and yeah. Cormac is, is a great guy. He's written that excellent book about the the soccer split. One of the kind of straws that broke the camel's back, as yeah. it were, was Ireland, uh, who are again this is before the split, so this is the IFA. Uh, Ireland national team where they're playing a match in Paris against France and you know it's an it's a big deal for them because the Ireland team generally doesn't play many games outside the home 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 nations games and things like that uh but obviously it's 1921 uh the split hasn't happened yet but obviously you know there's a lot of turmoil in the country and there's a group of uh former uh UCD students who are in Paris one of them is uh, an Egyptian national guy called Abraham Rashid and uh, the newspaper reports basically a group of, of African students or a group of Egyptian students uh, unfurled a Sinn Féin flag. And what they meant by that was the Irish tricolour. And this is uh, displayed at the game. So you've got to remember, it's a 32-county team. There are mm. you know, players from all over the country. The IFA are quite Belfast-orientated. Very much you so, yes. You might suggest unionist-orientated. Um, and they're, they're, they're kind of aghast that this flag is raised. But uh, Ibrahim uh, Rashid is a former UCD student. He's studying in France. He's there with three other uh, former... Uh, Irish students, one of whom is uh, Roy Geary, who's the man who later goes and founds uh, the Central Statistics Office um, years later. But they're studying in, uh, in in Paris, and they make this little nationalist gesture on behalf of of Ireland. And you got to remember, I suppose at the time, places like like Egypt, you know, you had the the, the kind of British mandate there mm. in Egypt, things like that. They would have looked at kind of maybe the Irish independence movement as something to. Uh, for inspiration for their own uh, struggles for independence and things like that. And obviously, he, having studied in Ireland, I'm sure he was sympathetic to the Irish cause. So they made their little, uh, I suppose, uh, political statement by unfurling the flag, much to the annoyance of, of the IFA delegates there. So, Gary, this is the original Egyptian-Irish football 
controversy before before the more recent one. Yes, there was a defining moment when in 1990 during the 1990 World Cup in Ireland played Egypt, and you probably I do remember that. And and this scintillating game. This was done for going into Mac two or even Mac three, and he 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 kind of. He kind of became a, a double legend in his own life and made a, made him viable for the next 30 years. So what he did was, he was getting out yards about how Ireland were playing, as you remember, Jack Charlton and the uh, long ball tactics. And uh, this was uh, as he's Christ. Uh, and there was, uh, I remember there was, there was a guy called uh, Ali Mackey who played for um, for for Egypt and he's always going yeah I hear this guy I read in the paper today this guy's supposed to be the greatest the best player in the world best defender in the world is he look there he goes woof and it's just um, <laughs> so 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 Ireland has got has got this um, this sort of relationship with Egypt this controversial <laughs> moment and it's the moment where he said that uh, he threw his pen and said anybody who sends a team out to play like that is shameful. Yeah, uh, and, and he gave a list of great former players. He did. None of the shaky Shamrock Ole Ole generation knew yeah. who on earth he was talking so, about. Tommy Eggington <laughs> uh, and Peter Farrell, right? And he was talking about these guys. Obviously, they were great players in their day, but people didn't really know. <laughs> so, so a week later or two weeks later, when Ireland were playing Italy, and I think somebody was coming on in the match uh, about 20 minutes ago and somebody shouts out the pub shouts out bring on Tommy Eglinton <laughs> and uh, it was quite funny so, so, the, so the original so not only did they you know cause that <laughs> did Egypt launch Eamon Dunphy on the, on the country unbeknownst they, they, to any did. of us they at did at the time uh, they also resulted well one of them uh, had, had a small act in the partition football wise of the country Jerry. Yeah, possibly to over-ascribe <laughs> it, but, but we're, 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 that's, that's, yes. that's, that's an, it's an, an interesting, interesting thing. So going, going into the 40s and players who, who, who were, if you like, not Irish-born, but were, were playing the game here uh, in the League of Ireland. Yeah, so it's, so it's going back to, like Ibrahim Rashid, he came to D- Dublin as a student, mm. and that was a, a similar path for a lot of uh, early black players in the League of Ireland. Um, they tended to be college students. Um, the first black League of Ireland footballer that I can find well and I didn't find it was Stephen Burke the Bose historian who mm. uh, mentioned to me and I did a bit of digging it was a guy called Francis Archibong who was a Nigerian English student uh, he was studying English in UCD and he played all of four games for Bose in 1948-49 season uh, and you know wasn't particularly good he, he was a centre forward he didn't score in any of the games I think Bose lost all four games um, right they were strictly amateur at the time, but he did have a m- more interesting career outside of the football pitch. Um, he went back to Nigeria with his English degree, and uh, 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 he basically worked for the uh, Department of Education in Nigeria. And later, he set up a, a big literacy program in Nigeria, and he was actually one of the representatives to UNESCO um, for uh, on, on behalf of, wow. of them. So he had a very successful, um, work, you know, uh, professional career. Uh, but not as a footballer. But uh, he did play four games for Bowes in, in the 40s, and he's the earliest black footballer that I can find anyway. Um, we're talking about a period in, in Irish history, I suppose, where it's a very white country. Yeah. Uh, anybody who has who is not white is probably from abroad or is a student here. Uh, and the games as we would see them, the Irish international sides, uh, the GEA sides, you're talking about white pasty pasty skinned people effectively mostly mostly yeah I mean if you look at there there are a few um, 
kind of obviously Dublin being a port city, there's a little bit more diversity here and things like that. But it, it is mostly white. You, you you do have obviously there's um there's kind of especially in Dublin at the time in the you know early years of the FAI, there is a sizable enough Jewish community, most mm. of whom were from kind of uh, Ashkenazi Jews who would have come from what's now the Baltic states and, and Russia and things like that. Yeah. There is an Italian community and a few of them are quite successful footballers. Um, mm. Joseph uh, Coffola, um, the Servi family, there's many footballers who play there for, for Shelburne, for Shamrock Rovers, things like that. But really, yeah, you're talking about a mostly white European and very, very much, you know, uh, Irish. Was there a player, and not to put you on the spot, of Lithuanian Jewish descent who played for Ireland and the... Lewis the, Buckman, yeah. Yeah, okay. Um, so Lewis Buckman was born in Lithuania Um his family came uh, to Ireland at the, I'm thinking now, at the end of the 19th century. Uh, they settled uh, not too far from where we are now, actually, uh, on the south side of the city. Um, and oh God, he's, he's just told everybody we're on the south side. They'll try to just destroy it. Fred, our engine is don't know where. Yeah, it's a big where. south. Okay, it's it's we're actually trying to take over the south side from yeah. from within, right? It's kind of a cell here of north sideness. Yeah. yeah okay anyway sorry so but, yeah Buckman uh, played for Shelburne played for Belfast Celtic uh, he went uh, to play in England as well played for West Brom and Bradford and he was and on the Luton. side that won the home championship was he that's right yeah, yeah. Um, okay. and he actually then later came back and he was a cricket international as well uh, for Ireland as well uh, he played and beat the, uh, for the Irish cricket team to beat the West Indies in, co- in College Park and Trinity College and, and Lithuanian born Lithuanian born yes yeah. so Lewis Buchhalter and he changed his name to Buckman and okay what I mean, do you have any idea what what the kind of attitude was towards, you know, towards players of color or in this case black? I, I mean, it, mm. it must have been, you know, pretty extraordinary sight in a totally white Ireland of that time. Yeah, there are obviously there's media reports. So the the fellow I just mentioned, Francis Archibald, mm. um, he played against Waterford, and the, one of the Waterford uh, uh, local papers basically said he got a very warm re- reception because it was. As they put it, uh, the unusual sight of of a black, uh, yeah. well, they didn't player, use that yeah. word, but a uh, player playing for uh, playing in the League of Ireland ground, it was unusual. Now, you you, you got to remember, I suppose, there's a lot of terminology floating around that you know that you, you wouldn't, wouldn't use, use now. So. Yeah, and even even to be honest, even today, we have to be careful our language. You know what I mean? Because yeah. some of the phraseologies have only been used when we when I was younger, certainly, but wouldn't use today. But I suppose the first feature of a player, like when I, when I was watching League of Ireland thirty years ago, Mark Rutherford was the standard player, yeah. uh, and um, still in a very white league, um, English born. Um, but in the sixties, we had. Ray Kyo, and is he, is he the first real feature? I mean, we had maybe yeah. players, you know, for a couple of games for Bowes in, in whatever yeah. period, but this is an established player playing for an established side who yeah. people could see week in, week out. And yeah, he, and first big a, star. Big yeah. star, and he plays on, on a very successful Duncanter side. Yeah, exactly, yeah. So, as you say, there, there's a few guys in, in, in the 50s, most of them are students, so you know, they're playing for, say, the likes of UCD, um, Frank Obiakpani, who, uh, and again, another Nigerian student. But they fit into the narrative of, of yeah, students, exactly. yeah. transgender community, but Rico is, 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 is a Dublin-born yeah. um, uh, player. And it is a funny sort of thing where, uh, actually during his time at Longford Town, uh, you had the, the strange headline, Nigerian player Ray Kyo, uh, <laughs> which really? they, they made this wild assumption that he, even though he was born on the Navan Road, that you know he was Nigerian in inverted commas, but now Ray is right. a, was a dub. Um, he uh, was uh, adopted by the, the Kyo family, and mm. I, I was lucky enough to interview Ray uh, before he passed away. He passed away in in, in twenty nineteen, um, but uh, an exceptional player. He was you know represented the league, so his first 
uh, Black Bear to win a representative honour for Ireland. He represents the League of Ireland uh, in 1961 in a game against Scotland. These are big prestigious games. You know, you- at that stage, just for people, at that stage, it was almost as prestigious as, as getting a, a full international honours. And around that time, interleague games were big. So we played against the English league and beat them actually around that period. That's that's right. In, yeah. in 63, beat an, Eng- an English league team with a few future World Cup winners in it. Yeah. So these were big draws. These would easily get 20,000, 30,000 people into Day- okay. Daly Park for, for those games. Um, he also wins, he plays up north as well. So he, he actually was capped for the Irish league as well. They also played against Scotland. So he has that distinction of being uh, representing the two uh, leagues as well. Um, actually, if we have a very quick, uh, the first, and it was a player in the Irish League, actually, the first very prominent black footballer was in the 50s, a guy called um, Tommy Wilberforce, who was a Ghanaian um, uh, goalkeeper, and he uh, played for a couple of years for Cliftonville, okay. uh, but he had to stop because uh, he had a, a kind of heart defect and was told he couldn't play football anymore. But he, again... He was a student. He had a scholarship. He was studying uh, in uh, a university in, in Belfast. So he played a couple of years um, for Cliftonville in the fifties. But yeah, Ray was the first kind of those Irish-born um, black player of significance. And like he, he won a league title with um, uh, Drumcondra. He plays in Europe. You know, he plays in a Drumcondra team that beat uh, Bayern Munich. Now they've lost the away leg. Quite heavily. That's, so not, that's not relevant. But that's not yeah, relevant. They beat Bayern. Sorry, beat Bayern, again, beat Bayern Munich 1-0 in Tottenham Beat Bayern Munich 1-0. Yeah. Uh, exactly. And he's, he played, he's part of that uh, Drunkander team who were the first Irish side to progress around in Europe. So they knock out a, da- a Danish side called Unza. Uh, and then they meet Bayern Munich in the second round. And he you know, he plays against them. But his story is typical of, of a lot of stories at that time. You know, that, that wasn't spoken of until much later on. The mother and, the mother and, and child home. Yeah. So that's he. he's born, if people know the... the, the what was mother and child home on the Navin Road there next to the St. Vincent de Paul swimming pool. Mm. Uh, he, was, he was born in that home. He was raised by the Kyo family who uh, actually lived out um, around Milltown. Uh, and unsurprisingly, uh, he, he later kind of uh, migrated over to Shamrock Rovers. He, he did begin playing with Home Farm as a young lad. Um, he, the family were quite uh, friendly with, um, I think it's Bob Lord, or sorry, Billy Lord, who was the um, kind of caretaker and groundsman at, at Milltown. And he came through as a reserve player for for Shamrock Rovers. He made his debut for Rovers in 1959, but it's a very uh, strong Rovers side, so it's very difficult for him to get into the team um, because you have Paddy Ambrose, Maxi McCann, Tommy Hamilton, Paddy Code is still playing there as well. So he mm. actually takes a step down to the Leinster Senior League, plays for Longford Town, who are then the Leinster Senior League side. Uh, and he's done so well in his year at Longford. He's signed by um, Drumcondra and they immediately win the league. He's a very intelligent player because he can play anywhere across the front line. He's only a little guy. Like uh, Ray was probably, I'd say, 5'5", five, 5'6", five, five, but he played in the wing, but he also played a kind of number 10. So that year that Drums won the league, Dan McCaffrey uh, scored some like 30 goals. He's, I think he scored 40-odd you know, in all competitions, and Ray kind of played as a number 10 behind him quite a lot of times. In, in the year before he got assists. Yes. So, yeah, if, if he'd been counting assists. With his yeah. assists. Assists. The first yeah. time I heard of assists were in, um, oh, uh, uh, remember that, that game, Fantasy Football? Yeah. In the papers uh, in the early 90s. And yeah. They, they you actually got started. Point. You got a point for an assist. Right. Which is laying it on for him. Which, yeah. Or ball which, crossing the ball in there. Whatever. Well, you, you could have beaten eight players and then <laughs> yeah. ball out, which is a little bit more than an assist but that's all it goes down yeah, anyway right, okay okay um so and when you spoke to him like uh, were there comments from the crowd did he get a notoriety is it is it an oddity that is remarked upon 
he he did ha- and look I spoke to a few of his former teammates and yeah, there was some stuff that I think people said in jest but was quite um, like I heard one story about teammates making reference to Ray and in reference to the Niemba massacre in the Congo which if people don't know is when uh, during the kind of the yeah. breakup of the Belgian Congo as it was at the time and some civil strife there and Irish peacekeeping mm-hmm. force were killed and there was yeah, kind of racial element to it he, he, he did have n- nicknames which I think were you might, if you're a generous saver, meant an affection, but we're would nowadays be quite offensive. Quite but, offensive. but this is pre civil rights movement in in in, in America. Yeah, I'm not excusing. He, we're not excusing any of this. But he, but he didn't ever feel he got grief. I asked him that okay. quite quite openly, and he said the only time I ever got really uh, prejudice prejudicial kind of stuff was when he played in the North because he, he played in the Irish League for for Ards as and a for it down. So uh, as a Catholic, and he got. Uh, he used to always wear a miraculous medal, and he said a Glen, I think it was a Glen Torn fan, uh, spat at him and tried to take the medal off him, and it was more for him being mm. uh, conspicuously a Catholic rather than yeah. his skin color. Yeah, yeah. Mm. There, there, there was a strange thing with um, a nickname he was given called Blessed Martin, which was because um, Saint Martin de Porres, who was a Peruvian monk, uh, who was black. Uh, I think he was being in the process of canonized. So that was the reference people had for another black person. They used to call him Blessed Martin. Which, right. yeah, he, he said he never experienced any sort of aggressive racism, but I suppose a lot of stuff that was probably out of ignorance. Um, mm. But but he didn't... Did he, he said he was never targeted because of his skin right. colour. And did he feel that he needed to be politicised or get involved in any movement or any any awareness raising or he just wanted to play football? Um, I, 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 he didn't seem, and like we talked a bit about this, whether he there had. wasn't a movement to cling to. In those no, there was. No, no, I doubt yeah. there was any platform yeah, of any the, sort. Early to 60s, yeah. But I think the fact that he was, you know, a, 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 a trailblazer, I suppose, it's that's that idea of visibility that if you can see it, you can be it sort right. of thing. And, you know, the fact that he was a very successful player, he represented the league, he played in Europe, he won a league title. Mm. The fact he went into coaching then and had quite a lot of success. Uh, coaching Leinster Senior League so you know he coached the team that won the B division as well as the, the Intermediate Cup a couple of times um, you know he, like he got some amazing results for small teams I think he Park Villa or a team from Navin like uh, held Shamrock Rovers an FAI Cup game Sponsored by Expressway With My Expressway free travel pass holders can reserve their seats online at expressway.ie or at our ticket machines in stations Think you're not smart enough to own a smartphone? Well, think again and think Doro. Doro phones are designed specially with the older person in mind. They're easy to use with louder sound and larger text. Plus numerous state-of-the-art features that don't compromise on performance or quality. To learn more about the full range of high-tech Doro phones, visit doro.ie. Doro phones, make friends with innovation. If you're enjoying this podcast, why not subscribe to Senior Times? Visit the website at seniortimes.ie and like us on Facebook. Ray played well into his 40s. He actually went back and ended up playing as a sweeper. He played against Paul McGrath and Paul was playing for Dock United as an 18-year-old. Really? I mean, you consider, the two of them shared the one pitch? Yeah. Oh, wow. And when you consider the background both, both men had... Similar backgrounds, yeah, yeah. And, you know, Ray, I think, was probably about 40 at the stage and Paul was maybe 18 or something like that. But yeah, um, and and did they did they have an interaction of any sort or or any kind of? Um, 
he, he, he didn't he, Ray was very pleased that I think Paul had, in one of Paul's early books not, um, not his most recent autobiography he did actually mention Ray and he said he was very pleased that he got a mention in Paul's book right okay. um, and I think he he recognised what a great player he was and he was a very shrewd judge of a player and he was again very popular um, I, I did a talk in Drumcondra Library yeah. uh, about Ray and, and, and a few of the old, old drums uh, players came along there to Alf Gervin who was had great memories of Ray and, and great stories about him. He was a very popular guy. He, st- he stayed uh, very close friends with a lot of uh, ex-players. He was good friends with Mick Megan, former mm. Ireland manager and player, mm. obviously, who was his manager at Drogheda when he was there. Um, so he's a very popular guy, very well-liked guy. Uh, but he, I don't think he ever saw himself as a trailblazer. Um, but or as an think, icon or as an image or a, a symbol of something. Yeah, but okay. I, I know his family were very very proud of what he achieved. Okay. Um, and, and, and going into the 60s, or sorry, into the 70s, is it still, you know, after Ray's era, still very much a, a monocultural feel of the league? It, it is really. Um, reflecting Yeah, and it, the it's, country. it's very occasional appearance. I suppose really into, in, you're into the 80s when uh, obviously Derry come into the league, they bring in a few, a few players, uh, a few black players uh, when, when they come into the league in the 80s. There's a handful of other um, players coming through. Uh, an interesting one that I did see was um, uh, Don O'Reardon, you might remember. Yeah, 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 yeah. He, uh, uh, Tramier Rovers scored a great goal for Tramier Rovers against Spurs in the FA Cup in 1991. Uh, the ver- I think it's the very fellow, yeah. And he was a Goa United manager. He was, and when he was at Galway United. I know this because my name is O'Reardon. Yeah, and- <laughs> <laughs> of course, yeah, fellow O'Reardon. <laughs> We're always Makes sense. looking for any O'Reardon that would make. Uh, headlines, of course, Dolores O'Reardon and Sean O'Reardon, the, the poet. Will I just keep going? <laughs> All the famous O'Reardon. Yeah, yeah. yeah, uh, yeah. Can, can you keep going? Uh, Ray Reardon. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Ray, I can, can tell you this. Ray Reardon, the difference between saying Ray Reardon and Ray O'Reardon. Yeah. Ray O'Reardon didn't win any snooker matches. Yeah, but well, Ray uh, okay, well, well, hold it there because uh, because our original family name is O-R-E-A-R-D-O-N. We actually are originally Reardons. And my great-grandfather stuck in the O when he was in the British Army as a tailor. So there you go. So me and Ray, <laughs> me and Ray. I'm going to stick in a no. <laughs> Gary O'Cook. Or Gary no, maybe Cook. Not. Gary Cook or three O's. Cook, <laughs> yeah, we, we've kind of moved off the topic there for a second. Anyway, you were... Yeah. Yeah, Donald Reardon. Donald Reardon, um, when he was manager at Torquay, had a bit of success uh, bringing players over from the Caribbean. And he brought, brought in a, a, a player that he was able to then sell on to QPR for a big... Uh, transfer fee and he said this is a kind of untapped market right. and it, there was a bit of scouting be done by a guy called Cess Pod so he was a Bradford player but he was originally from I think Barbados and he had a little bit of a scouting network so it was kind of true that that uh, if you remember we kind of had an influx of Caribbean players in the 90s so you had people like Eric Levine Wesley Avery Charles, John Avery John 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 Avery John 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 yeah um, so I remember that, that, that was kind of where one of those um, kind of it was kind of you know informal kind of scouting network of people saying oh I know a good player and I suppose in the League of Ireland which never was very flush with cash these were decent players that you get in with who weren't looking for huge salaries and you, you weren't demanding huge transfer fees from a team in St. Kitts or but, Barbados or, but in the, in, the, in the 80s then late 70s 80s are you more likely to see a black player representing the country at an international level than in the League of Ireland um, well, so a lot of the players who played for Ireland in, in that period Chris Hutton Paul McGrath yeah. obviously Paul uh, did have a season with St. Pat's of, of course yeah in yeah, of course, yeah, yeah. but yeah I suppose Chris Hutton is the first uh, senior international in 79. Um, 79 which is interesting because Viv Anderson was the first international for England uh, which is 78 yeah 78 so there's only a year between them uh, and one for you here now as well the 
obviously Scotland and Wales had er, black players play for them earlier. Uh, Wales had a guy called Eddie Parrish, uh, who played for played from one cap against Ireland in nineteen thirty one in Belfast. Uh, and the, Scotland's uh, earliest player was a guy called Andrew Watson. Goes back to the eighteen eighties. Who's uh, yeah, his father was um, a Scottish merchant, and I think his mother was from Guyana. So he was probably one of the first black international footballers. That's in in these islands. In these islands, islands, yeah, yeah. Okay, so so Chris Hewton becomes a um, an international in '79. Uh, Irish mother, English born. Um, uh, I think Ghanaian background as well. Um, yeah. Does that uh, is that something that's celebrated uh, or is it just another player? We're used to English born players playing for the country now. It's. It's something I've always thought is that it doesn't raise up my many eyebrows. That team that I, you know, I grew up at a perfect time when uh, football was taking off. Jack's Army, all this. When I was a mm. kid, you know, the eighty-eight Euro sticker album and all that sort of stuff. And you know, it was something that I think that broadened the definition of Irishness. And pe- people might say, "Oh, plastic paddies, X, Y, Z, and things like that." No. There was there was an awful lot. I think if you speak to any of those players, and I know you've spoken to a few of the players who had been on that team I think they all were very proud to represent Ireland and I think it it, it gave what as you said it it's a very kind of monocultural country and it was I remember how grim things were in the 80s but it kind of gave a broader definition of what Irishness was because you had guys with different accents who looked different who had yeah. different skin yeah, colors that was well that's very interesting because um, I, I always get the feeling that Irishness was and we talk about this in the tour as well far more comfortable with its sort of diaspora in America you know that that that's a kind of a success story. Whereas it's diaspora in in Britain. Like when I was when I was I was in my twenties um, when all of this was happening. It, you know, Italian ninety and all that. And I had no idea how many Irish people actually lived in uh, London, Birmingham, uh, Manchester. Uh, Liverpool was the only place mm. I thought Irish people were. But 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 and and all, or people of Irish heritage who. Their Irish heritage was important to them. Yeah, who mm. might describe themselves as London Irish? Absolutely, and London that, Irish that, is really that's a thing. their identity, that's their nationality. Yeah, no, absolutely. Well, that, that's really, I suppose, what I meant. Mm. Um, but it, it it didn't seem to have the same. Maybe because it was England, and there was a confusion with some way with that. But they didn't seem to have the same kind of uh, sell through as uh, Ameri- uh, the Irish American thing. Because I, I, I agree, yeah, I agree with yeah. you about the the football. Uh, all of a sudden, that that changed everything. But you know, I mean, like, there's a certain generation of Irish person when you've you've an Irish player with an English accent, mm. right? You're just waiting for somebody to say something, make a comment. It bristles, yeah. right? It doesn't fit because our sense of our some and for some mm. people's sense of Irishness, it's almost it has to be not English. Yeah. So it's like whatever we do that isn't English mm. uh, is Irish. So then somebody who comes over with an English accent. Uh, playing this game called <laughs> soccer it's almost a doubling it, it really challenges our sense of Irishness yeah. and then we have players from all these wonderful backgrounds in the current mm-hmm. team but it's more honest reflection of the country yeah. than what we've been given that this, this idea of, of the gale this, this, this bizarre use of this term gale I find in certain uh, circles that in, in anything other than the weather <laughs> yeah um, it's, you know, if, you, gets, if you play Gaelic yeah. football you're a, or hurling you're a gale like, what kind of anyway I, I find that really problematic. Just, just, just circling back as yeah, sorry sorry getting back to the actual yeah, point as they say uh, these days I do remember um, us being you know very pleased I've been able to get players like Mark Lawrence and who didn't seem to have wild Irish connections 
Uh, and then there was Tony Cascarino, obviously, who not only, not only was he not really Irish, he wasn't even Italian. Um, <laughs> and then, <laughs> allegedly, and then, uh, say, something like Andy Townsend, he was a bridge in that way because what it was, you know, loads of Irish people in the, in the you know, the pubs, they said, go, oh, Andy, oh, hi. <laughs> he was a guy who just sounded... He was so what you'd expect, you know, kind but, of cockney. But there, but like. modern players have said, Cyrus Christie has said this, that the suggestion of not being Irish is only ever le- um, labelled at those or levied at those who are black. That's his contention. So if you are white, mm. English-born, you don't get the same level of questioning of your Irishness mm. that maybe Clinton Morrison got, that Cyrus Christie says he has. And, and Cyrus Christie's great grandfather was playing for uh, Rovers in the twenties, so he has a good Irish footballing right. stock. Okay, but I, I think there's probably truth in that, and I don't. You, you probably get a little bit. I think with um, like you've read, I'm sure, plenty of, of the bo- books by ex-players. You read mm. stuff like or interviews with say people like Gary Breen or Kevin Caban or Alan McLaughlin and mm. people like that who were so proud to be and never identify even though they grew up kind of like what you were saying Gary they grew up in whether it's London or Manchester or Liverpool but very much identify themselves as Irish but yet I think there's probably they might get get it a bit but I think you're probably right I think the, a black player tends to get it a bit more and then come back to Ray Kyo for a second did he did he get a, did he identify these players playing in the national side in the 80s and 90s as being a great a great progress for the for the for the I suppose racial relations in Ireland, or as a symbol of something, or again, is he football's football? I, I think politics and again, I'm. I wouldn't want to speak for the man, but just from from meeting him, I think he was he was just you know in as say Giles or would would use the phrase he was a football man. That's what he was. He was a pure football man. Yeah. He loved the game. He played much very late in, into into life. He still went to matches. Um, he still hung around with a lot of his former teammates and things like that, he just really loved football. Mm. And I think, I, I'm, I, I imagine it must have probably cheered him to think that, you know, Paul McGrath became one of Ireland's greatest ever players and achieved all he did. And, that, you know, he had played against him yeah. in a very unglamorous uh, game against Dockey United. But Well, it is a feature, and, we, and I know this from my, sort of my, my political work, if you like, mm. is that um, what is noticeable is that the African communities in Ireland have um you know embraced life in ireland sporting codes mm. in ireland particularly particularly football right particularly mm. soccer whereas eastern europeans uh, have tended to concentrate on their own national schools if you like at the weekend so they have these national these polish schools Moldovan schools Lithuanian schools and that's where they focus their they focus their attention at the weekend and there has been less evidence of the Romanian community breaking into mm. into into soccer circles, where that's uh, evidence of Poles or Lithuanians mm. or Moldovans to, well, to the same degree. There's a story we heard in the mm. tour that um, Polish football uh, uh, association and clubs in Poland are sending their scouts over to Ireland <laughs> to, to, to pick <laughs> up the, reclaim their reclaim their players. <laughs> but that has been a. It's, I suppose it's I an identity thing. Is that um, the African communities here, so those of African uh, descent, are here in their 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 mentality is that they are they're they're psychologically here in Ireland and of Ireland, and that's why uh, you know they're declaring for Ireland, they want to mm. play for Ireland, uh, uh, and they're and they're very and they're very Irish. Whereas the Eastern European families, they feel as if they are going to return to mm. Poland, mm. and that's been the case in Lithuania. Mm. And, and when it comes to the weekend, and we found this when we're trying to encourage the, some of these families to integrate with the local soccer club back in back in 2014, 2015, that they were prioritizing their own, you know, language mm. school at the weekend. So that's why um, 
there has been there has just not been that same uh, you know uh, integration if you like but as we say on the tour it's a reflection of what ireland is the national sides now we have a traveler woman playing on the on the women's side we have a number of lads from 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 African background playing on the uh, mm. on the national side and to have an African born player yeah, the first yeah. ever of many yeah uh, of course and, and also a total fans favorite yeah and uh, I, I was at the last couple of like I go mm. go to all the Ireland matches and just I think mm. the the popularity of that man and look he plays you know I don't want to be cliche but he does play like a bit of smile on his face he, you yeah. can see he's he loves playing yeah. uh, for Ireland and the fact that he's done so well he's got about three three goals in the six games now as well and scored a great goal there against. Um, was it? Oh, it wasn't the Lithuania game. It was the previous Belgium one. Bel- yeah, Belgium yeah, yeah, game. Yeah, the great kick. Yeah, scored yeah. a great goal against them. And it, it's you know, it, it it's great to see that someone who started out and you know was let go by Cork City. If you remember that, like they they loaned him to Limerick, and that's that's a hell of a journey for a lad to go on from being kind of loaned out to a first division mm. League of Ireland side to now they're on the cusp of getting promoted to the championship. He's an Irish international, uh, and you know he's playing the football of his life. And yeah. I think that's a great story. That's a great role model for kids to have growing up. And I suppose, I don't know if you want to speak to this, but why hasn't it happened? Why aren't this, isn't the same ethnic mix as evident in, for example, the GEA? As a historian, can you speak to that? Well, or is it a fair question? As a football fan, I think just football is an international sport. And okay. I, I'm, I'm a terrible footballer. Awful, truly terrible. But I, I am involved a little bit of organising with the, the Bohemian futsal team. And yeah. I think futsal is a great uh, example because it's a very minority kind of sport here in Ireland. But it's hugely popular in South America. It's hugely popular in Eastern Europe. Um, and you look at a lot of the best futsal teams. They're full of players from... Romania, Poland, Hungary, Uruguay, Brazil, Croatia, Argentina, um, and it's it's probably one of the most diverse um, kind of sports in Ireland, and I think that's because people grew up in different countries, different cities, and futsal was you know standard for them. Here in South America, every kid plays futsal. It's the same in lots of East, Eastern European countries. So. It's a game they're familiar with, and I, I, I actually hope that futsal grows as, as a sport. What is futsal? It's it's like a it's like a smaller ball, a heavier ball, and it's like five side five side. Yeah, and it's side. played indoors, so it's yeah. it comes from the Spanish football du salon, as in the, the things football you learn. In the room. Now we had a Brazilian on our tour, <laughs> <laughs> and we had to give him. We had to a give very a very brief tweet history. Tweet one hundred and eighty yeah. characters history of. Yeah. Yeah, so there was this country called uh, England. <laughs> they came over here and they kind of ruled the place, and then we kicked them out. But they kept half it in the summer resentment, right? That's <laughs> it. That's one hundred and eighty, right? It's quite complicated. So send your emails to Gary Cook. <laughs> yeah, my, my history. <laughs> Gary Cook history. Yeah. And Irish history dot you know whatever. And his phone number is 088. Um, uh, Jerry, always a pleasure. Thanks so much for coming. Thank you very much. The story of uh, of a black fo- black Irish footballers, and a long way I continue. Thanks, Jerry. Thank you. So thank you for listening. That was the Football Talking Tour podcast with myself, Aon the Reardon, and yourself, Gary Cook. So our Football Walking Tour, you can go on to littlemuseum.ie to find out about the Southside one, footballwalkingtour at gmail.com for the Northside one, and on Twitter, we're at Football Tour Dub. Mm-hmm.